Hello and welcome to the 74th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and then in the second half we discuss the game here to promote, which in this case is Transistor by Supergiant Games. Greg, who are you and what do you do? Well, hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Greg Kasavin. Uh, my title is Creative Director at Supergiant Games. And uh, what that means is I work on a variety of aspects of our games, uh, r- ranging from the writing uh, to the level design and to a bunch of other little bits and pieces. We're a small studio based in San Francisco, so uh, we were uh, seven people on our first game, Bastion, and we grew to uh, about a dozen people on on Transistor, so everybody uh, wears wears a bunch of different hats during the course of a given production. As is the way with smaller studios, which is both liberating and scary at the same time. Indeed. (laughs) So... Um, many of you actually know you from your past as a, a on the other side, as people say. I don't like using that phrase, actually. I don't think there are sides, but people seem to think there are. But um, I'd like to ask you, how did you make your start uh, in the video game industry? Now, you can actually go back further than just your first job. I've had people talk about their first computer when they were 10, and that's cool. Um, but when would you think you really got your, your start in, in flashlighty video games? Yeah, so um, as you uh, as you suggested, I uh, prior to getting into development, uh, I, I did work in a, a, a kind of a pretty different uh, angle of, of the game industry, which was uh, in the gaming press. Um, uh, most notably, I, I was at GameSpot for a number of years. Uh, I was editor in chief there um, uh, for a number of years. Toward the end, I yeah, I was at GameSpot for for over a decade, and it was really my first real job. Um, I had some smaller game writing jobs uh, prior to that and basically was writing about games uh, straight out of high school. Um, started working on uh, a fanzine which back back at this time in the in the mid 90s was was printed on paper and mailed out to humans even though um, it, it was kind of the early days of the internet so we oh. we already uh, y- you know my, my co-author on that fanzine was a guy I met. Uh, over the internet and so on, we we kind of hit it off and started writing about games together. Uh, but I always wanted to make games since I was a little kid. Um, I just took more to writing than to to programming, and then I really fell in love with writing about them. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done that for like ten or twelve years. But essentially, I uh, you know that time in the gaming press it really flew by. As you know yourself, uh, working in it, it, it doesn't have a lot of downtime. Um, it's it can be a, a pretty kind of uh, intense uh, field, and and so so the time just went by really fast, and and I kind of had one of those awakening moments one day, in you know around 2006 or something, where I'm like, man, I've been doing this for a really long time, and I'm no closer to to ever um, working on games, and if I never if I never really try to work on games, I I just know I'll regret it, so I, I just need to try it at some point, um, and and so. Uh, but I didn't even know how, despite having like a um, a, a high position at a major website, I was very kind of insulated from uh, from game studios. But um, a former colleague of mine who I used to work with, he was over at, at Electronic Arts working as a producer, and they had an opening for another producer, and he knew of my kind of, we were friends, he knew of my 
lo- we remain friends actually. Um, he knew my long-term uh, goals around that stuff and mentioned, hey, we have a producer opening. Is that something you, you would be interested in applying for? And I said yes and applied for it and and got it. So that was uh, yeah. That, uh, so I left GameSpot at the beginning of 2007 to go work at Electronic Arts in Los Angeles uh, on Command uh, on Command and Conquer Three. That was kind of the first game I worked on, um, and uh, that's where I met uh, Amir Rao and Gavin Simon, who are the co-founders of, uh, of Supergiant. So we, um, they later split off. In we all left in uh, 2009 in the summer, and Amir and Gavin formed Supergiant, and I joined them um, in in the following year. I think that era, that period, is pivotal. No one really understands this, and that one of the things I say is. You do understand that the Xbox 360 is almost 10 years old. Like, yeah. Mean? No, really, it is. No, 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 that's not a retro machine. I'm sorry. It's bordering. I mean, I was there at E3 when PS2 came out, right? I was there. You may have been as well. I was there, sitting in the audience, watching this thing come out, thinking, oh, look, like Toy Story graphics didn't happen. We know that. But anyway. And now it's a retro machine. <laughs> right. And it's hard to stomach that, but it's true. Yep. You know, I've had people ask... What is a retro machine? Well, can you go into a store and buy games for this machine? No. Therefore, it's retro. Really? Yes. <laughs> and yep. it's, it's to hear you talk about those years and that pivotal moment, like 2006, you know, the, the, entry, the barrier of entry of making video games is way lower than it was back then. Yeah, and for sure. That's only nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it, things have changed a lot. I mean, that was the year. It, it was uh, like for me, the moment was w- was at E three of that year. Probably I, that was the year when uh, Bioshock and and the the original Assassin's Creed were being shown, and those games those games just blew me away. Yes, I I was they were uh, you, you know I I think I think Bioshock uh, has stood the test of time better than the original Assassin's Creed, but. Uh, Assassin's Creed was remarkable in its own right, uh, at least from like an ambition and sort of technical standpoint. But but seeing those games in that form at E3, I I was just uh, it, it something something woke up in me, and I'm like I I need to I need to be a part of this. Like it, it, part part of it was also that it was a it was a in the midst of a console. It was a transitional time, as as you said, and and I felt that that uh, represented an opportunity for someone like me who who didn't have any real direct experience making games. And it's like, well, everyone is going to have to learn this again because it's it's going to all change. So th- this is the time for someone without a lot of direct experience to to be able to 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 be able to you know maybe get his foot in the door. Um, that was my that was my kind of mindset um, around that. I think yeah, seeing the Assassin's Creed and realizing that the people making that and the creators behind that didn't do a line of code. I mean that's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean many really yep, not one line of code. They actually helped produce it, and but the other people were doing the coding of that, and that probably was opening the door in your mind, thinking, well maybe I could fit into that place. That, that's true. Yeah, I mean that was around the time when when team sizes were starting to. I, I mean, I think they proceeded to spiral out of control during yes. the course of that generation. But at that time, you know, these these teams were like a good, you know, sixty or a hundred people or something like that. My uh, the team I joined at Electronic Arts was was a solid, you know, sixty people that got even bigger 
than that when um you know what, around the time when they had to kind of finish a game yeah. um and and that was a yeah it, it, at that point um not everyone you know only a portion of that of that number was uh was engineering um and and there was a need for for uh, for people with a production mindset which is which is where i thought uh i could make a difference because in addition to uh, you know, I was writing a lot of game reviews and doing uh, like producing a lot of content at GameSpot, but I was also uh, like managing the team there yep. and and interacting with a bunch of different groups at a, at a pretty large company. You know, because we had a we had a sales and marketing team and that I had to kind of be the liaison internally between our editorial department and uh, and them and and we had an engineering team that I worked very closely with on new site features and so on. So that was like how. I was able to sort of make a case for myself as someone who could be competent um, working in a, it, it, working as a producer uh, at a game company. But you know, my what I really wanted to do was get my hands dirty, as it were, and be involved with the actual game making. I didn't just want to be like organizing people. I thought I had something to contribute, uh, you know, on on the on the design front, essentially on on the content side. And also, let's. Let's just focus on this a little bit, if I may. Look where it's gone. I mean, the, the, the commentary on video games, and I call it commentary, as opposed yeah. to, there's some journalism, absolutely, absolutely. But for the most part, I believe it to be commentary, and that's fine, also. Look where it's gone now. I mean, would you have been comfortable? It's like, look, look, it seems to have been, it's just a very, very different environment in many regards. Do you not agree? Uh, you mean for like for game writing and for, game. for kind of game media? Yeah. Um, no, for sure it's changed a lot. Um, I think I think you know if I if I had to if I had to single out like the way the 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 thing that has caused it to change the most profoundly, it's certainly the the proliferation of of live streaming. Yeah. I think uh, it's 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 Twitch TV and yeah. Let's Plays and so on. Um, I I. Uh, you know, I thought I thought at GameSpot we were pioneering a lot of that type of content, kind of back in my day. You know, to use the old man voice for a <laughs> second. So, so I I was always very, um, I was always sort of very enthusiastic about that. Um, and and I I come from although I worked for I I, I had some of my work in print early on. The vast, vast, vast majority of the time I spent uh, working in the gaming press was all online. Um, so I come from this position of like um, it all it, like as a, as an early sort of online gaming press person, I had to sort of fight for uh, any kind of uh, like it just wasn't respected. You know what I mean? Uh, it was it was seen as inferior to print. Yes. Um, and and I feel like that's where uh, streamers uh, and YouTubers and so on have been over the last few years. And and I find it very ironic sometimes that that now I, I sometimes see like uh, online press guys saying like, oh these these rascally streamers and so on. It just kind of reminds me of the attitude that print people had. <laughs> toward toward online people um uh, in the, in the 90s and it's like you you just got to like like adapting with the changing times i think is is part of the job description uh if you want to be in the media business 
Um, and, and so I think it can require really stepping out of your comfort zone. Like for sure, you know, I, I got into writing about games because I, I, I enjoyed writing. I never imagined that I would have to like sort of, sort of step in front of a camera <laughs> one day, but, but we, for, we forced ourselves. We yeah. just made ourselves do it. And people are like, wow, you're, you know, they, you're so, you guys are so natural on camera. Like we, I, I don't know how great we ever were, but we got a lot better. Um, yeah. and, and it just came through. It didn't, I don't think like there were some of us who were, I think, very talented for it, but most of us were not like inherently talented. We just worked. Uh, we just kept practicing at it and got better. Um, and, and I, I really, I, th- I thought it was great that we had an opportunity to do that. And these days, um, I, I, I think once again, yeah, just sort of the landscape, um, of the gaming press is changing a lot. And, uh, you know, the other factor of course is, is social media and even like, even like, well, I mean, Twitter has been around for, for a good number of years now, but, but for sure, you know, Twitter, I think is, has like really changed the way that, that people kind of interact with, um, uh, gaming websites and with, uh, editors that they like and so on. And I, I think there's kind of a, um, a bigger onus on individual, uh, writers and and uh, contributors to the gaming press to just sort of uh, find find their find their voice. Not you you can't just sort of be a random staff writer. I th- I don't know. You can you can of you course. Can. I think it's just harder. It's just harder to to sort of. Uh, I think it's harder to succeed that way. And the the um it's it's certainly it's certainly difficult. Like you said, the barrier to entry. Um, is is a lot. You you mentioned it with regard to games, uh, game yes. development. Actually, the barrier to entry is a lot lower. But I think the same is true of, um, you know, of the gaming press as well. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, and just, but it's interesting you talk about you know be identifying as be a staff writer and what have you. And uh, we get a story of someone who uh, went to an interview for a certain publication beginning with E, uh, ending in E as well. And uh, he actually asked, why aren't there any bylines? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that uh yeah, we don't do that. And it's just it's just they're still around. You know, that's 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 still around. And it's just they they still have a place, definitely that one particular publication. And it's just it, they've evolved, but I believe the online space I hate using that phrase I just did, but the online uh, productivity has has changed to reflect social networking. The social networking has evolved to re- in response to it. Not yeah. necessarily to video games, but I know Facebook is nothing like what it was when it first no. came into being. Nothing like it at all. And Twitter is only slightly morphing into what it wants to be. Uh, but Facebook is much more malleable, I've found. And it's, it's doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But I'm going to now turn your focus again back to your, your current career, rather than bang mm-hmm. on about that. And uh, I want to ask you as a, a creator now, because that's what you are. Um, what and this is a very open-ended question. It's probably you might wince a bit at it, but let me sort of build a construct around it. What do you find yourself being drawn to and drawing from when creating um, video games? Basically, what I'm asking is, what are your main focus influences? What yeah, um, it, it's um, it's certainly it's certainly difficult for me to to pin down. Um, a precise set of things yes. there, uh, but but I think I think like experientially to me, it's something that's very vivid, um, and I think I think you know 
the reason I work in games and wanted to work in games is because I can I can sort of communicate it through games better than I can through some other means, if that makes any sense. Um, I, I wanted to sort of put my money where where my mouth is when it came to when it came to game making. So I, I mean, I've always been very the the most impressed with games that can kind of create some kind of an emotional experience in me. Um, though that I, I'll put an asterisk on that because I've always played like games of all varieties. Like, people ask me what are my all-time favorite games, and I tell them they are Ultima Five and Street Fighter Two, and one of those is a deep. Uh, kind of hundred hour long computer role playing game, and one of those is of course a classic fighting game, and they couldn't be more different. But to me, those games are like expressive of the 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 range of things that games can do extraordinarily well. One of them being this incredibly absorbing narrative experience that's like gives gives the player a a, a huge sense of agency. Uh, the you know choices and consequences and being able to go where you want and do what you want and so on and then and then in the case of street fighter it's it's just kind of the the most sort of sublime like mechanical uh execution experiment like the, this what what it, it almost learning a fighting game is like learning a musical instrument or something like that like what you end up doing physically is this very complex very pleasurable um a kind of experience to, to master games like that or to attempt to master them because they're kind of unmasterable that they're so deep. So, so um, I love the full range of that and, and basically just wanted to be able to contribute to the kind of, you know, the games like that impacted me so much that I wanted to contribute to games that could do that for other people in, in short. That's fantastic. I just a, a trigger an emotion, good or bad to something. Uh, rather than just um, matching three things and going. Ooh. Yeah, no, the, the games have always. I mean, I, I've been playing games. I'm one of those people who like I've been playing games from my earliest memories, like from like in arcade, and and I was I was very fortunate to have access to games on a variety of platforms. I think in part because I had an older brother. I, I think I got exposed to games younger than. I normally than I otherwise would have because because I have a brother's older by three and a, three and a half years so you know my parents got an Atari twenty six hundred and then we got an Apple II computer and so on and then uh, I always loved uh, video arcades back then so I was playing console games computer games and arcade games from the age of like five or six uh, all the way you know to to the present yeah. except in the case of arcade games where they kind of don't really exist anymore uh, but but. Uh, you know, and and all of the I I kind of grew to appreciate um, what was unique, what was kind of different about each of those formats because they were they were very different. Like a, like I said, you know, an arcade game like Street Fighter couldn't be more different from a computer game like Ultima, and yet I loved them, you know, just as much um, in in different ways. Um, so so I think that I think that games, it, it's great when games focus, uh, but it's also great when they kind of pull from different. Uh, sort of genres and and kind of kind of recognize that the pleasure of playing games can come both from the uh, from the sense of agency and, and choice as well as from just kind of the the mechanical pre- precision and just really finely tuned 
uh, gameplay. Um, so, so I, I kind of try to pay a lot of attention to both of those aspects. Yeah, and it comes through from the work you, you do. And I share a similar experience. I've got three older siblings, uh, and uh, you know, I remember playing Pong. One of my earliest memories is playing Pong with my older brother, one of my older brothers, uh, and, and an arcade. I remember this big yellow thing. I just, and I didn't understand, because I was very young, what I was actually <laughs> doing, yeah. you know. But he, it was basically tennis, and we loved table tennis. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'll get this. And there was this little knob, and we loved it. You know, we spent a lot of 10Ps that day. Um, right. And then we had, uh, my, my track is typically British, I'm afraid. It's all Sinclair and stuff. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, of course it isn't. But uh, you know that we didn't get the NES until later on, and that's why we had right. the master system. But it's great that... Back now, the world is shrunk, and the Americans now understand even know what Sinclair is. It's wonderful. Yeah. And they make a mention of it, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know about Spectrum. You yeah. know, whereas five years ago, it was with a mystery, like, really? He didn't have a NES? No, he had this weird rubber key thing instead. <laughs> but it, they're still, although our, our, our stories sort of branch off into different scenes, ultimately they're the same, um, in that we, we played games, and I have been playing them for a very, very long time. And just on the Street Fighter thing, I, you used to love them, and I remember playing early beat 'em ups, Wave Exploding Fist, and stuff like that, and then grad, you know, graduating towards the Street Fighter 2 games and stuff. And now my hand eye coordination isn't there anymore. It's not there. So I, as much as I like those games, I'm surprised. <laughs> I yeah. marvel at the people who can actually pull those off. I know, I know what to do, but my brain and hands go, yeah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Um, to the point where I actually built a, a, you know, a, a joystick for it, and uh, it was great. It's got an eight-gate sort of eight-way sort of like controller for the stick, so it's a lot easier to pull off those half circles. But even still, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, just get it's just gone, you know. Uh, and now I actually do play Street Fighter in a different way as a game card game called Yomi. Have you heard of yeah. it? You know yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah, I've from got... uh, that's. Uh... Uh, David Serlin's game, right? Yeah, Serlin's game, fantastic. This breaks down. I haven't, I haven't played it myself, but I'm I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. It's a terrific game, and it just breaks down everything we know about fighting games in a card game. Interesting. Even, yeah. even to the point we actually play the moves, at, we play the cards at the same time. It's not a turn-based thing. It's not. Right. It's not like magic. You just go, bam. Okay, what are we going to do? Oh, you've you've blocked that. I've thrown you, and off it goes. It's fabulous stuff, and it's beautifully done. It breaks down all the moves that we're familiar with in, in, in those games in a card game. And, uh, yeah, you can play it online as well to just experience yeah. it. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. So my next question is, is again, a bit of a double-edged sword, this one. You might, you might, a lot of developers go, I can't answer this because I might hurt someone's feelings. But basically, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, um... There, there's like a you, you know it's changed a lot over it, it, it comes like it comes and goes over over time right like at different at different eras yes there were different developers so I, I suppose do you mean sort of right right at this moment this, or or just kind you. of a gen- I mean just general I mean it can be a yeah. company as well by the way not in yeah the- um the you know I think I think the this is like a I'll, I'll try to give a more contemporary example after this, but I think, like, for me, and I, I sort of alluded to this already, the really, the, like, the most inspiring example to me as I was 
not just as I was growing up, but beyond was was uh, sort of classic origin systems. Uh, the yeah. studio behind the Ultima series and uh, and the early uh, and and Wing Commander and basically uh, Origin had this era from the late '80s to basically the mid '90s, close to a decade. It's uh, I would say it's a little less than a decade because they were you know I, I wasn't I wasn't the, their biggest fan toward the end there, but oh, we for a period, yeah. yeah, for a period of about eight years. Uh, they were nailing it. They were just kind of doing everything that I I could have possibly wanted out of games, essentially. Um, between and, and they were when they were like sort of going back. And, there, there was this time period for them where they went like, you know, Ultima Six, Wing Commander, Wing Commander Two, Ultima Seven, Ultima Seven Part Two, Wing Commander Three. All those games were just they were insane. Yeah, they were insane games. Uh, they they did everything. They they like narratively, they were incredibly pioneering. Where to this day, I I sort of reference what those games did specifically. Where you know, plenty of other games have done similar things since then, but they kind of did it first and did it, you know, did it better in a lot of cases. And and um, and they they were just extraordinary to me on all fronts. And granted, I I you know I played them when I. I played them during an impressionable time in my life for sure. It was like from my, you know, ages like whatever, 10 to 14 or 15 or something like that. So, so th- those games were, were like really, really big for me. And, and Origins motto at the time was, uh, was we create worlds. And, and to me, that, yeah. And to me, that was such a, it was such a powerful idea. And, and they, and they did it right. Like that was their, kind of mission statement or whatever, and you played an, an Ultima or you played a Wing Commander, and you're like, yep, you made a world. That is awesome. Like, I want to be in that world. Um, I love everything that's going on here. And uh, so so I, I think that the spirit of of Origin, you know, has sort of transferred from, <laughs> from studio to studio. Uh, I, I really, really loved uh, Blizzard Entertainment for a long time in, in really similar ways. I kind of fell out of love with with Blizzard for a while, but um, but in recent years, it's really come back. Like Hearthstone has been the game I've played sort of by far the most for the last year and a half. Uh, I absolutely Hearthstone is is my favorite Blizzard game, and basically since like vanilla World of Warcraft or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I was a huge fan of Blizzard. Uh, there's so many sort of uh, there's so many Japanese studios. Um, as well that have really inspired me. Um, I think, you know, in recent years, like, uh, like, like, uh, from software has done really extraordinary work that, that I just really respect. Um, and I, and I love, I just love from software's story because they've been around for so long. Yeah, like, no, one knows no, that, they? no one knows that. I, I think they've been around since the eighties actually. Yeah. Like they, they've been around, so they've been around forever. And, and I just love, I love those stories of, of studios that kind of quietly pay their dues like for years, if not decades. And then one day they, they just kind of stick to their guns and stick to their gut. And one day they put out another one of their weird games and then, but then it takes off and that's like what happened to them, you know, with demon souls and then dark souls and so on. Um, I don't know how it actually is over there, but I love that they, that their games have been so kind of specific uh, and I, I think it created with a lot of just a lot of courage. Um, they they really go against a lot of the uh, 
it, ju- it just they they go against a lot of conventional kind of design wisdom, and yet they they created like a new uh, design wisdom in in so doing. Um, and so that's that's really remarkable. And you know, of course, there there are these guys like a, a kind of classic Valve and and Naughty Dog that are just just the best at what they do. You know, um, where it's it's just daunting how how well they they make their games. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of games I really admire, like for the for their storytelling craft. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's some that come to mind. That's fantastic. I talking about Dark Souls. I mean, I remember I was at Gamescom and they were demonstrating game the uh, uh, Dark Souls there. It was them, it was the actual developers from Japan, yeah. standing in front of me, demoing it, and they were so humble. They were going, "Yeah, we're really sorry about this build. Uh, it looks a bit ropey." Trust me, I'm losing my mind. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that, you know? that game must have been really, really hard to show too, because yeah. it's although although the art, you, you know, the kind of the production design of that game is great, but like what's really so kind of intoxicating about that game is like impossible to express. Yeah, um, was, in in the context of something like E3. Yeah, I was playing. I'd played Demon Souls, so I knew I was really excited. Oh yeah, okay. But, no, uh, right. Having played Demon Souls, then for sure, seeing that they're kind of trying to make a, trying to take it a step further, yeah, yeah, it's really, really exciting. And they were just so humble about it, like, you were really sorry, do you like this? They were like asking this, really, do, do yeah. you, it's alright? It's just, are you kidding? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's just, no, like, I mean, that's that's great. It's, it's the same with the, uh, didn't they do Chrome Hounds, or was it someone else? Yeah, they absolutely did. I love Chrome Hounds. Yeah, they've done a bunch of crazy games. Chrome Hounds was like, it's too bad that game is, you know, it basically not playable anymore because it was an online game. The servers are down, but yeah. that game did. There were so many crazy, innovative things in that game. Um, I, I never can't say I've ever played anything quite like it. And huh. so, yeah, I, they've been they've been doing weird, interesting stuff for so long. Yeah, the hints of uh, Dark Souls to come was in that game. People don't. Yeah, know, but there's some crazy, crazy stuff that happened. And uh, I remember this big, massive mech coming from nowhere. Right, right. To trigger in a certain way if you did a certain thing. Like, what is that? Um, yeah. And there's a pause, and all my friends in the amazing clan that we played, because, you know, the bond, the friendship we had with playing that game is extraordinary. And it's just like, shoot it! Yeah. <laughs> That's the answer. That's the answer. What do we do? Shoot it! But, um, fantastic stuff. Well, great answer, again. My last question in the first half. I know, sad, but uh, we'll go on to Transistor. But the last half is my, my favourite question because you get an idea, an inkling of what you know gives you what you're working on potentially. Although normally it actually doesn't. Uh, the answer, the, the the question is, um, what are you playing right now? Uh, yeah. So I, as mentioned, uh, I've been playing quite a bit of Hearthstone, um, uh, somewhat to the exclusion of of other things. Um, I I just love that game. Um, I've never gotten into collectible card games before in part because i didn't have like i didn't have people around me to to play with i i always figured i'd enjoy magic the gathering but i never really got into it um and uh so uh hearthstone i started playing it basically like the week after transistor shipped uh in may of last year and and i've been playing it uh almost like pretty constantly since then so it's hooked me really hard and it's strange because it's i'm at a point in my uh, prior to that, I was playing like Dota two for like two years, so I, it, it's very surprising to me that I, I really thought I was at a point in my life where I could not like sort of co- 
commit to um, a competitive multiplayer game the way I used to, you know, in my in my sort of glo- fighting game glory days. And yet here I am. Um, uh, it's very convenient, you know. I, I have I got kids at home and stuff. It's it's and Hearthstone is actually quite convenient for that because you could play it on whatever you know. I could play it on my phone while I'm waiting for my son to go to bed or something like that. So that's all quite convenient. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, the game I played the most recently uh, is is Soma from Frictional Games. Um, I'd been really looking forward to that because I really really enjoyed uh, Amnesia. Uh, the last game that they made. Um, Can you expand a little bit on it, please? Yeah, of course. It's it's their uh, it's their sort of science fiction first person science fiction horror game. Um, and and to say too much more, okay, it's one of those you know the experience of it is really kind of vital. You don't want to give too much away, but they they uh, I'm very interested in games that uh, successfully create strong atmosphere. And uh, Frictional Games does that, I think, extraordinarily well. They did it really well with Amnesia, uh, and they once again have done it really, really well with Soma. Um, and and they they do horror really well. I don't I don't like I don't love horror games inherently, um, but I I really appreciate when they're done. I think I think I think really well, which which they do. They they I think Frictional understands that there's this tension between trying to create like a, a horror experience and also trying to create like a fun video game. Those things are kind of directly at odds because horror isn't necessarily fun. It's like terrifying. Um, and, and with amnesia, I thought they really nailed it um, because you know, it's the, they just, there, there was no combat. Like when you ran into one of the horrifying creatures in that game you could just hide and run away and that's it and that actually made it a lot scarier than in most games where you have like a you know auto shotgun or something so you could kill all the zombies it's like that's not really horror when you can when you could just fight back and you know dominate the guys coming at you but um turns into something else we look at left for dead is that really a horror game not really it's a yeah right but you know Exactly. It's like a horror. Uh, Left 4 Dead is like a horror themed game, but it's not. Yeah, it's like a fun. It's it's a much squarely in the fun video game category than in like the you know horror experience category or whatever. Um, and uh, the the other one that uh, I I happened I actually had the had the pleasure of playing it uh, somewhat prior to its release is is uh, the Beginner's Guide, uh, which just came out in the last day from the creator of. Uh, the Stanley Parable, uh, and the Stanley Parable was a very, very interesting narrative game. Yes. Um, and and the Beginner's Guide. If you play the Stanley Parable, and someone says, "What do you think the creator of the Stanley Parable would do after that?" I think it would be pretty hard to come up with an answer because the Stanley Parable is kind of like the ultimate meta video game, like the yes. ultimate sort of self-referential commentary on games. So it's like, where do you even go after that? And and uh, the beginner's guide is a very, very interesting answer to that. And I think when, it, like, in without giving anything away, you know, sort of in hindsight of playing it, you're like, oh, this is this is kind of I, I I felt anyway, like, oh, this is kind of the perfect uh, follow up to to that. And this is once again just a really fascinating and uh, memorable game. Yes, I love Stanley Parable because it laughs at the player it, with with a you know with a gusto. Yeah. Yeah, it's so and it's so playful, right? It's 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 actually it's very even though um, 
it is a game where you essentially just walk and move forward. It is, it, it is still very interactive feeling. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's just very playful with the form of games and, and just really sharply written and everything. That's, that's the key to it. The, the writing is, is exceptional. So, that's the end of the first half. Well done. You've made it. Uh, there is a boss monster at the end at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this shows a little bit like a video game now. So, we're now going to move on to the second half of the show. We talk about... Well, uh, Transistor is uh, what we call a science fiction themed uh, action RPG in which you discover this extraordinary weapon of unknown origin, as it were, and have to fight your way through this stunning futuristic city as, as you search for answers as you pursue the weapon's former owners. That's kind of the long and the short of it. Um, that's the best we could come up with <laughs> as a way of describing it, uh, because it's it's a it's kind of an uh, it's kind of an unusual game in some respects. Um, I think it dis, uh, despite and and I think you know we found that no one could really talk about Transistor without uh, talking about our first game, Bastion, ourselves included, just because we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to make Transistor if not for Bastion. And uh, Bastion was our first game. Transistor was our second. They they were sort of destined to be uh, compared and contrasted. Um, and we set out to make, with Transistor, we set out to make a game with its own distinct identity, uh, having made this like weird fantasy frontier game in Bastion, which thankfully you know, was, was a big success for us, and people, you know, the feedback we got was really positive around what we were able to do with the world building and the gameplay and everything. We're like, okay, it's great that people enjoyed that. Now let's see if we could make some other thing that is also good in its own right, but that has its own distinct feel. Um, and that's that's kind of what we set out to do with, with Transistor. Some of my fondest memories of PAX has gone by is uh, playing Transistor for the first time. You were very accommodating when I appeared at the booth because it was surrounded by hordes of people. And he went, oh, Chris, do you want to come and sit and play it over here? And you were great for that. Yeah. Jaded to this day. Cool, good. <laughs> I, I was, had a lot of appointments, you know what it's like. And uh, yeah. mainly with Indies, I was surrounded by like, could I, could, yeah, yeah, please, have a go. And I was, I was absolutely blown away by it. Um, awesome. And uh, still am. Um, but I'm actually playing it again on, on tablet, as we were talking about prior to recording the show. I recently got an iPad Air 2. Uh, so glorious machine, uh, really yeah. makes games shine. Really, uh, and um, to to play Transistor on it is is quite a, a pleasure um, cool. because I Great. think it's it's um, this is actually leading on to my first 
proper question. There you go. Brace yourself. Um, so um, we spoke about this during PAX, just gone, as we met up again. A great booth, as always. Um, you seem to be in that same spot, just near the sky bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those who go to PAX will know what I'm talking about. It's a lovely spot. It's quite nice. Near the behemoth. Very nice. Yep. And um, it's got a touch interface, of course, because it's sort of a tablet that you translate it across. It, Transistor seems to suit that interface so well. And I know the answer to this question, but the others, you know, listen to the show don't. Because I, but um, was that more luck than judgment? Um, <laughs> uh, not, I mean... N- you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, you know, I should just, I should just own that and say, yeah, like, like I, I, you know what, I attribute a huge amount of our success to, to, to good fortune. Um, I think we've been ex- extraordinarily fortunate. Um, we, when we, when we set out uh, the, the this most recent version of Transistor for uh, for the iPad and iPhone was not um, the version that we designed first. It first uh, came to the PlayStation Four and PC. So, so we did uh, foremost design the game, you know, both for uh, mouse and keyboard and for uh, game game pad. Controls. You're right. I should um, explain that. Sorry, everyone, but yes, sorry. Yeah, but but uh, but we did. You, you know, it's. Um, I think I think it's something where we've we found it, we found it to be a very sort of fascinating aspect of the de- design is, is 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 like configuring our games to best suit different input methods. Um, with with Bastion, uh, it was the same. Where the game initially came out on on console and PC, we th- we we thought of it as as kind of a console game primarily but it was really important to us to have good mouse and keyboard controls as well um and and then after it came out um sometime later we released a, a version for the iPad and that version took us a long time relative the 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 original game took like 20 months to develop and the iPad version took like an additional 7 months so um you know sort of 50% almost 40-50% additional development time to get it working on the iPad because we had we had to really change a lot to get the controls feeling right and we had to sort of retune the entire game as well uh, because it just it just felt really different and um, we we felt it was really important to to just sort of understand um, touch controls because we felt that they may be a significant uh, factor in the future, and we felt that we may find kind of a healthy new audience on on that platform. And uh, I, I think those things largely turned out to be true. Uh, but you know, for us, there's this kind of exploratory process of like, how do we capture the the essence of our game on on each respective platform? And that's not about like making sure we map every aspect of the controls one to one and like put a bunch of virtual buttons on the screen or something like that. It is more about the sort of deep down experience, um, and and in some cases, kind of streamlining the the experience to best suit the platform. So, I think um, I think that that experience that we had creating Bastion for iPad uh, helped us um, it helped Transistor for for iPad and iPhone happen more smoothly as well. And I should also say we worked uh, like for the first time we worked with another team on that version of the game. Um, um, a team called Confetti, uh, based in Southern California. They're like they're actually some ex uh, rock star guys who worked on like Red Dead Redemption. Uh, but but they they helped us 
bring uh, bring Transistor over to iOS, and and they they did a great job. Uh, but but I think yeah, the game itself did naturally lend to a more sort of deliberate play style because it has this strategic component because it's a game where you can sort of pause the action at any time just about as as like part of the play experience whereas Bastion is just a much more action oriented game and that that like I think that made the leap uh, more difficult in Bastion's case whereas with with Transistor it, it was um it, it didn't it took us a lot less time to be happy with uh, how it felt uh, on on a touch device I do remember seeing Bastion uh, on the iPad. Again, you showed it to me at PAX. Yeah. East, I think. And you were really excited. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we were, this, we, were glad, we were glad it turned out well. I mean, there was a while there, I think like about five months into that development, we, it, it started to get, it started to get pretty gloomy. It was like, man, it, like, this is still bad. Like, we, do, we were not feeling good about it and we're like, we're, we're just gonna, like, we we were kind of down in the weeds, just trying to get the game to feel right. Um, th- this is this is Bastion for iPad, um, and uh, and we finally had kind of a moment of like a moment of clarity of like, okay, look, what's let, let's just let's just identify the last set of things that we want to try, and we 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 think that these issues that we have with the game are are we suspect that they're solvable if we do this, that, and the other thing. So we're going to do those things. We're going to evaluate it once again, and uh, and and we'll take it from there. Uh, but, but this this is going to be kind of our last big effort to make this feel right. But we're not going to release a version of this game that that we we don't feel lives up to what we've accomplished so far. Like our goal with every with each successive version of our game is like the way we talk about it internally is like we want each version of our game to be like the best version. We don't want to release like inferior ports of our games or whatever, because for the person who buys that version, you know, maybe they've heard, Oh, other people have said Bastion's really good. So I'm going to check it out. But if they play some inferior version, they'll be like, I don't, I don't know what those people are talking about. Like their only exposure to the game is through the one version that they get. Um, so it's really important to us to make sure uh, each version of Bastion, each version of Transistor, you know, feel like if if that's the only version you ever play, great. Um, it's it's you know, rest assured you played the best one, whichever one it is. That's kind of our our goal around it anyway. And that that um, it, it takes a lot of kind of uh, uh, a lot of uh, noodling around, as it were. Um, it's an intensive process, but it's it's well worth it to us uh, in the end, or or it always has been up until this point, and um, it it puts us in a good. It puts us in a good position because we don't put all our eggs in one basket, as it were, and, and it's really important, I think, for for small studios like us to, to be able to sort of diversify in that way and because because the platforms that people play games on, they they just change over time. You know, Bastion first launched on uh, Xbox Live Arcade on the Xbox 360, and that's kind of not really a thing these days, um, the Xbox 360, that is. So the environment is totally different. Um, so yeah, we just—it's important for us to kind of stay on our toes about uh, releasing games in in different places that make sense and where where we see you know interest from from our audience. So, brilliant answer. And it's—you're uh, right. The world has changed, and uh, it was a very brave move to move on to tablets. But there's a, some aspect of tablet play that I want to ask you about. You yeah. it, 
earlier with your when we were talking about what games you're playing right now. How, what have you done to Transistor, if anything, to make it consumable in ten minute chunks? Um, we that that is probably another aspect of 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 the game where we just kind of where we probably just kind of lucked out where the structure of the game. I think naturally kind of lends itself to that. Yes. Um, it, it's it's a game where it, it's the, the it's kind of a continuous experience. There there aren't like discrete levels in the game per se. It's just kind of one journey that you go through as this character called Red. Um, and uh, but the the kind of checkpoints that you interact with along the way um, occur at pretty regular intervals, you know, every often like six or seven minutes apart or something like that. So you can kind of play through a chunk of it uh, pretty comfortably uh, and then be done. And you, the next time you pick it up, you'll pick up right where you left off. Um, I think it is the sort of, as is often the case with like uh, narrative games or, or games where they don't have like discrete stopping points. I think when you play a game like Transistor, there's a bit of a compulsion to just kind of keep playing, um, which can be a good thing. I mean, I, I think if if games had intentions of their own, they would want to be played, right? <laughs> like a game wants to be played and, com- and completed, if that makes any sense. Uh, but but uh, we we are happy for people to either you know sort of power through in a couple of sessions or um, or play just small chunks at a time if they're waiting for the bus or something like that. So I think it just naturally lended itself that way, and we didn't have to make any structural changes, really, um, in order to um, accommodate how people do play sort of uh, differently on uh, w- with uh, with mobile devices. Yeah, I mean, I can vouch for almost missing stations. <laughs> and they're like, I've got to kill this. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> i got to stop. i got to stop because my station's coming up. So... Uh, um, it's like that having really amazing book. We've all done it. Like, have I just missed my... Oh, God. <laughs> well, it was a good chapter, you know. And uh, so Transistor definitely suffers from that. But um, so a penultimate question. I know, almost there. Don't worry, the last one is really tricky. Um, I want to ask you about narration, the voice narration. Yeah. Because, um, as fantastic as it is, and not at all... Um, sarcastic in any way, or there's some humour there, but it's very dark because things ain't great in the world of Transistor. I don't want to spoil yeah. it at all, but I think we can safely say things are a yep. bad way. And um, are you, of course, Bastion had a unique narration which was humorous. Um, and are you, is this a, almost like a trademark stamp for Supergiant, or would you rather not? do that um yeah that that's like we we wondered you know we we leave that open for for others to decide really yes we um the 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 truth of it is i i don't like we don't know and i don't know uh we don't know what the future holds um and and we we think it's something that we thought about a lot as we were making Transistor, because we we were certainly aware that, like like we, a common bit of feedback we would get from people who enjoyed Bastion w- would be like, "Great game, can't hope you guys make another one, hope you make a sequel, like or like can't wait for the sequel or something." And 
at a certain point, you know, we're working on Transistor, which is a game that we consider to be in the same genre and yet really quite different, uh, both in its presentation and, and, and even in the, you know, in the moment to moment gameplay and so on. Like for us, we were pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone with Transistor quite a bit, um, uh, despite, uh, whatever similarities to Bastion. Um, so, so we were, we were quite anxious to find out, you know, before we announced the game, if, if people would be sort of a, a, like tolerant of uh, how unlike Bastion it was. Um, and it turned out that uh, the response was, was just extraordinary. We were overwhelmed at how positive the response was when, you know, when we finally revealed the game and, and uh, that, that thankfully carried over uh, to when we, we launched the game as well. Uh, but, but, um, much like during Transistor's development where we we didn't know what we were going to end up making, I, I think we don't want to, like, we don't ever want to sort of pigeonhole ourselves, um, and we want to kind of keep pushing ourselves creatively and seeing what, what happens as a result of that. Uh, though having said that, we are the same team, and it's really important to us as part of who we are and what we do that we stick together as a team. Um, and that means having the same individuals uh, kind of doing what they do best over time. So Gen Z remains our art director and Darren Korb remains our composer and, and uh, an audio director. I, I continue to do the writing for the game, uh, a mirror uh, uh, for our games and uh, um Amir is, uh, you know, tunes, tunes the games and designs a lot of the systems. And uh, Andrew and Gavin are, uh, build, you know, make it all work as our as our engineers. And we have Josh and and Camilo who who shore up our art department, doing 3D modeling and animation and visual effects and stuff. And like, as long as as long as that group is still the same group, I I think like naturally all of our games are going to have some. Uh, some commonality, and I should mention you. You asked specifically about the voiceover. I should yeah. get back to that. We work. We uh, we love working with Logan Cunningham, who was uh, the voice of the narrator in Bastion, the voice of the transistor in, in Transistor, and we loved going. We loved kind of the like the the difference in his role and his performance from one game to the next, and just just as we uh, continue to sort of push ourselves as individuals uh, like I, I I I would I would personally love to keep working with Logan for a long time to come. So I you know who's who's to say uh, but I I think we we really like what voiceover can do for games and we really yes. like working with Logan um and we want to keep finding we want to keep making interesting games <laughs> whatever <laughs> that means. So that that and and I think, like, to the extent we want to keep surprising people, it we don't want to have, like, some specific obvious calling card that, like, oh, you can guarantee for all our games to be narrated or something. Like, I don't think we could make... I don't think we would want to make that kind of commitment. Um, yeah. We would rather be... I would rather we be more committed to surprising people, whatever that means. And, and uh, I think, I think inherently that's, that's why I don't even know what that means necessarily. It means us having to discover something and then put it out there. My last question, uh, concerns the combat system in transistor. Um, mm -hmm. 
where did that come from? How did it evolve? Basically, what I'm asking is, was Transistor built around that idea? Uh, yeah. In um, so, in a lot of ways, it was. Maybe you should um, describe it a little bit first. Sorry. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe you could, you'd probably do a better job than that. I don't know, but uh, it's like a it was almost turn based, but it's not. You basically slow time down, issue a sequence of programmed orders to Red, who's the main protagonist in the game, and as she and then you just hit a button or hit a space bar, whatever you, and then it let goes and goes to normal time, and she moves at hyper speed. That yeah, that that is a that is a fine way to describe it. Indeed, um, yeah, that so th- so the idea for that did uh, the specifics of it evolved over a long period of time, uh, but but it was um, one of the original one of the original ideas as we first sat down to talk about what what we wanted to do with a new game is like yeah certain themes emerged. One was that we wanted to make a game with its own distinct identity. We were also interested in making a science fiction game, you know, having made a fantasy game. Uh, thematically, narratively, we talked about some of the some of the themes we want to explore with it, and 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 gameplay wise, we were very interested in uh, in kind of moving in this more deliberate direction, um, having made this this very action oriented action RPG in Bastion that has a lot of kind of arcade like mechanics in it. We wanted to see if we could capture the pleasures of turn-based games and tactical RPGs in the context of an easy-to-pick-up-and-play action RPG. So, uh, like, I, I think a lot of people sort of who don't play strategy games or turn-based games, they kind of those games can have kind of a stodgy reputation. Like, oh, you know, I don't want. I just want to. I just play games that have fun. I don't want to do a lot of thinking or whatever. But they're they're really I don't think people play strategy games like for the thinking necessarily. They play them like they're very dramatic. Um, there's there's a lot of great stuff that happens in that moment between your plan and the culmination, the execution of that plan. Um, watching as your ideas unfold and then having to kind of react to the consequences of that. And we thought like, wow, what if we could sort of bake that into the gameplay of this game if you're sort of constantly having these table-turning kinds of moments where you're up against the ropes, you're about to fail, everything looks hopeless, and then wham, you just turn it around and you prevail right in the nick of time. What Can we like create a system that lends itself to, to, uh, to providing those kind of moments? Um, and that meant, uh, yeah, exploring in this direction of uh, sort of combining aspects of turn-based gameplay with real-time play. And we knew that, in some respects, it was sort of an ill-advised undertaking on paper because a lot of games, I think, in the past have failed to successfully combine um, turn-based and real-time play. But we thought that by, by, st- by using that as a starting point, um, maybe we could make it uh, more successful and kind of bake it, uh, make it a part of the whole experience. Whereas in a lot of sort of classic RPGs, like some of the Ultima games I mentioned, you could like hit the space bar to pause, but the game wasn't really strictly designed around that. There was no conceit for why you could do that. It was just like a crutch for you know if the game gets too crazy, you could pause it. Uh, so so our thought with Transistor was like, oh, th- this could this could be integral to the game. Not it's not it's not really optional and yet it's something that we want players to experiment with we're not going to force them to use it in a particular way we're just going to like 
create an environment where they could use it in a bunch of interesting ways. So it um, it definitely evolved a lot, uh, but we we were we were really happy with where we we got it to, and yeah, happy with the response to it. Fantastic. It's, I just wanted to, again uh, build a picture around how the game evolved. And came yeah. To be. And I believe it seems to be anchored around that that combat system. It's I hope you don't think that's been oversimplifying it. No, I I, I think uh, for sure you know our our games have um, like the narrative and the atmosphere of our games is really important to us. Though uh, by we absolutely consider ourselves a like we're a gameplay driven studio. We start with the gameplay and what the play experience is, and then we work to develop the kind of thematic core of the game in, in parallel and to uh, create like a sum total experience that really fits that. But we're, there are some studios where they're all about, you know, telling the story that they want to tell through their mechanics or something like that. But for us, it, it absolutely starts with what the gameplay is going to be like. Um, so, so that, that is, uh, yeah, that was, uh, uh, an in- inception point when we were first talking about Transistor, and yeah, it's it's cool to you know talk about it now and look back on it and realize like through all the twists and turns that it took during development, I think I think we we did really stick to that idea um, and and um, you know through through to the end, and it and I think it stood out um, as as one of the more interesting aspects of the game. Transistor's out on PlayStation Four, PC, and iOS. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is correct. And uh, Mac and Linux and stuff as well. Oh, right. Yeah, through Steam. Yeah, I, I built a Steam box back almost two years nice. ago. I have bits lying around, I'm sure you do too. And I thought, oh, I can make a machine that can play indie games on my telly uh, rather than an Xbox 360. And it's worked great. And if you can do it, I highly recommend it, everyone, because um, it's lovely playing these awesome games. I know you can do that anyway on PlayStation 4, but there's other indie games that aren't, sadly, on those platforms. That you know, if you got a Steam box, up it goes. Um, but uh, is it coming on Android as well? You, you, you we we don't have uh, plans for an Android version at at this point. But we, as as I always say, we haven't ruled anything out. So we'll we'll we will see how it goes. There, as um, with that kind of stuff, it's, it's sometimes surprising the twists and turns that that occur. Like I, I never would have expected that we would end up releasing Bastion on PlayStation 4, you know, 4 years after the after the fact. So so yeah, you never know, but we we don't we don't have plans for it at the, at the moment. Greg, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you so so Thank much you. for coming on the show. I hope you're getting out of it. I know I certainly did. Um, and uh, you're welcome to come back on and to talk about whatever new game you're you're cooking up over there in uh, in uh, California. Uh, so it's fantastic. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye